This is Computer Talk with Tab, hosted by Eric Semmel of Tab Computer Systems. Interact by phone at 522-WTIC or 1-800-966-WTIC. You can email them in the studio at gethelpattabinc.com or get help anytime at computertalkwithtab.com. Now, here's Eric. And good morning. This is Computer Talk with Tab. I'm Eric. I'm here alone today. Bob's off this morning. I'm going to be here till around 10.30 before the UConn football game, so feel free to get online, 800-966-WTIC-522-WTIC, and I'll do my best to help you out with your computer problems, comments, questions, and concerns. Some of the things in the news technology-wise that I found interesting this week, um, obviously we all remember Hurricane Irma and uh, what it did to Florida, and uh, before it came to Florida, everybody was running away from Florida as fast as they could, uh, which obviously was a good thing. And those who were driving Teslas found that their batteries went a little further. So if you happen – now, we talked about this before as far as what Tesla offers with their, with their models, that they actually sell the same battery in the vehicle but have something called – that we call in the IT world crippleware. And they've purposefully crippled the battery to not go as far, limits it to 80% of its range if you're uh, not able to come up – cough up the dollars for Tesla to get the full capacity of your electric car. I mean, to cripple the battery on an electric car does seem a little insidious, but this is what they do. And in order to avoid the embarrassment of a bunch of electric cars being stuck on the highway leaving Florida, the folks at Tesla flipped a switch and gave the batteries their full ability to drive uh, the full range which was about 30 or, four, 30 or so additional miles. Um, it's something if you're stuck in, in traffic, obviously, and your battery's going to die, you definitely appreciate the extra 30 miles. Um, so what Tesla giveth, Tesla will taketh away, again, unless you cough up your extra thousands of dollars to get the full benefit of the battery that you're dragging around anyways. Um, they will be turning off that, uh, that feature that they already haven't uh, for those who didn't pay. And I just found it interesting that the thing that the that Tesla chose as one of the areas to to extract more cash from Tesla owners was the battery in an electric car. I can see maybe leather seats, you know, maybe you don't need the nav or whatever, but the, to choose the battery, it just seems, I don't know, I have a problem with it, as you can tell. <laughs> in other news, Apple, my other favorite company, um, is out with $1,000 phones. Uh, of course, they're a little brighter, they're a little thinner, they're a little lighter, and they're a little faster. Uh, but they're a whole lot more money, 1000 bucks. And the new iPhone 8 and iPhone X will charge up to 50% in just 30 minutes. Well, just so you guys know, my, my Droid Android Turbo 2 has done that for many uh, years already, and it'll actually charge to 70% in 15 minutes. But I digress. The folks at Apple feel that even after you've spent your $1,000 on your iPhone 8 or iPhone X, you should then cough up an extra 50 bucks for the charger that lets it charge fast. I kid you not. They want to charge you 50 bucks more for the charger to make their super-duper phone charge super-duper quick. Again, that just seems horrible to me. I mean, if you like your Apple, if you're an Apple fan and you like your Apple customers, why would you smack them in the face twice? Just crazy to me. 
you just coughed up a thousand bucks for the silly phone and you want to charge fast, they won't give it to you? Again, my Android, Motorola, Droid Turbo 2 came with its fast charger in the box. So, again, good luck to you guys out there dropping a grand on the new uh, iPhone. I wish you the best. It has something called facial recognition. They got rid of the thumbprint because it was obviously defeated. And now they're going to use your face to unlock the phone. Obviously, you can see some problems with this, right? You know, it's a lot easier to splash the phone in front of your face, not while you're sleeping. So anybody in dorm rooms or what have you, your roommate's not going to be able to unlock your phone by sticking it in front of your face. Apple's figured out to make sure that if your eyes are closed, the phone won't be unlocked. But um, they can now put the phone in, you can put the phone in front of your face and supposedly it'll unlock. But if you're in front of an officer and the officer demands your phone, you can squeeze it quickly in a certain way to hold it kind of weird and hold a couple buttons so that even if somebody wants to put it in front of your face, it won't unlock. It's just getting crazy out there. I'm not so sure that facial recognition is the best form of security. I would have preferred multiple forms, meaning facial and thumbprint. And you can, of course, not use the facial recognition and use a pin if you choose to, which probably would be better than using your face. But a lot of folks are going to use the facial recognition. And um, good luck to you with that. I'm sure it'll work okay. But as we already know, the um, thumb capabilities have been defeated as well. And I showed you on the air how I can just talk to Siri and mess with your iPhone um, without it even being unlocked. So we'll see if this new $1,000 phone has even more security. But uh, Apple's all excited about the new iPhone. And I'm sure those of you who love Apple are too. More power to you. I'm not giving you a hard time. I just think to have them charge you 50 bucks more to charge it faster is just, it's just insult to injury. But that's just me. On the Android side, if you haven't had your Android device connected um, for upwards of a couple of months, Google will automatically delete the system backups. So anybody who's in a coma for longer than two months, you haven't used your phone, Android feels and Google feels. Your stuff is gone. Just so you know, Apple does the same thing, but this is a story on Google. Uh, if you haven't connected in a while, they are going to decide to delete your backups. And uh, that might be something of a surprise to you. Uh, but, of course, what do you want? It's free. That's why they offer it for, for free. Um, I'll put a link up there for you. You can read about the article if you're running an Android device and an, uh, and or an Apple device. So they have the same requirements. If you haven't connected in a while, those off-site backups will be deleted. So if you're counting on them, or maybe you have a loved one who passes, and, of course, you're working on all the other issues of dealing with that, obviously their phone is not being connected. After a few months, that data is all gone. And you still might need access to that data. So keep that in mind. Our lines are all jammed up on a Saturday morning, so I appreciate all that. I'll step out for a quick break, get back to your, get to your calls. we got Mike, Bob, Peter, and Greg. This is Computer Talk. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is Computer Talk. I'm Eric. I'm going to be here until around 1030, as Bob just mentioned. So uh, stick around for UConn. And uh, it's going to be a, a great day for football. Let's hope the Huskies can keep up the winning streak. Let's get to your calls, though. And you guys are nice enough to join me on a Saturday morning. We're going to go to Mike in uh, Wolcott first. Hey, Mike. Morning, Mike. You there? Hey, I'm right here. Yep. What can I do for you? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, a number of weeks ago, well, actually, let me start with, believe it or not, I still have a Vista laptop. And, um, oh, I believe clearly, 
clear. I know. I know. I run everything until it turns to dust. <laughs> the, um, of course, now with it not being supported and, and going forward, um, like tax programs and such won't run on it. It's you know it's time for me to change. And uh, a number of weeks ago, uh, I heard you mention um, uh, something about like the minimum processor speed I should be looking at, as well as uh, maybe minimum memory. Yeah. Uh, I don't do I don't do much on that at home. For home use, I mostly use an iPad at this point. It's adequate for what we do. Yep. Um, except for maybe Excel mm-hmm. or something like that. Right. And I'm not sure of the future of Excel either at this point. But um, <laughs> it's still it's still going strong. Yeah, but I, I'm going to have to rent it going forward. <laughs> no, you don't have to. That's a huge misnomer out there, and I see it a lot even in our practice at Tab. Uh, so many people think you have to rent the Office Suite from Microsoft. They still allow you to buy it. Uh, but people that are just out there trying to sell you the rental are making percentages every month for you renting it from them. So they have no reason to let you know you can just buy it. You can just buy it. <laughs> that's perfect. That's, that's, yeah, so I would run probably Office as well on it, but not much else. Do my taxes every year. Everything else gets done on the iPad for the most part. So. Okay. Well, I mean, a minimum processor that I'd recommend for any business, uh, or for any PC, I should say, is an i5 processor. Uh, I would stay away from the i3s. Um, they're just not that powerful enough. Um, you can have some people that say they've had success with them, but to have something so minimal as an i3 that might need to run something else, you know, maybe some photo editing, maybe a little bit of video editing, maybe just a little more, to have that i5 processor with its ability to do so is the right thing to do going for the long run. Considering you're going to run your machines until it turns to dust, it would really stink if it really didn't have enough power. I mean, your smartphone probably has more power in it than your current computer does. And if you started out with an i3, I would contend you're putting yourself a little behind. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Absolutely. It sure does. Okay. And uh, 8 gigs of RAM is adequate? Yeah, 8 gigs is a good typical for most computers these days. Uh, That way you can take advantage of 64-bit operating systems. Um, Anything with 4 gigs is only going to be a 32-bit operating system, so I would stick with the 64 8-gig system. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Mike. Take care. Yep, take care of you too. Bye-bye. Let's go on to uh, who's next. Peter in Manchester next. Hey, Peter, what's up? Hey, good afternoon. Oh, good morning. Right. Good morning. That's okay. Good morning. Early. <laughs> yeah. Uh, appreciate your show. Thanks. Uh, I listen to it all the time. Okay. I've got an error with my Windows 7 Pro. I've uh, got a bad pool header. What are you and trying to I've do? Well, I'm trying to get, I've got the blue screen, it stops Windows from loading so it doesn't get damaged, and it gives me a bad pool header. I've run uh, Windows Repair, it didn't. It couldn't repair it. I've done uh, Check Disk uh, Repair, it couldn't repair it. I tried going back, uh, System Restore, and that didn't repair it. I'm, I'm really stuck, and I thought, well, before I go any further, I should give you guys a call, saying it's Saturday morning. Mm. Yeah, so... It could be a memory issue. How old's the machine? Uh, probably about four years old. Okay. So it could be a faulty drive. It could be a driver problem, a driver update problem, bad memory. Um, the, the the drawback of these silly uh, errors that come from Microsoft's blue screens is that there's there's not a, a lot of detail. Did they give you any kind okay. of zero x zero zero zero? Is it the zero x uh, and yeah, many? I, I didn't I didn't copy it down. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> uh, if it ends in a uh, one nine. If it's the zero x zero, a bunch of zeros and one nine, um, it's a common one. And again, it could be a lot of different things. Uh, okay, I I ran a RAM check and it came up good. 
You run it on the motherboard. You run the RAM check locally. Well, I ran it through Windows. Um, various uh, they got various tools, and one of them was a RAM check, a memory check, and I ran that. Have you run a system file check? No, I haven't. That might be the next thing to check. If your RAM is okay, it could be a hard drive problem. So you can do a system file check uh, command, and we can put a link up there for the system file check over at Computer Talk. And you can okay. see if you can run It's kind of an integrity check on the um, operating system files. It could, okay. al- it could also be a bad drive, a bad hard drive. Right. Now, if it's a bad hard drive, there's not a whole lot you can do other than get a new no, hard drive. Yeah, load yep. the operating system. So do a system file check if you can get that running. Can you get into safe mode or anything? Yeah, I'm in safe. I can get it into safe mode. Okay. That's where I've been running my, my tests and everything. Okay, good. So let's have you run a system file check. I'll put the link up there for you as far as that command. And if that comes back clean, then you should run a hard disk check, or it's called a check disk. Now, the right. warn- I have to warn you I on- I ran check disk R, and it, it didn't do anything. It, it couldn't repair it. Oh, oh, okay. You did run a check disk, and it says it can't yeah. fix the spots. Yeah. And it, and it detected a lot of bad spots? No, it didn't. It didn't? But it couldn't repair no. it. What do you mean? Nope. It, it, well, it said it couldn't repair the error at the end. It couldn't repair Windows. Interesting. Okay, so it does see a problem, but it couldn't fix it. Correct. All right. Well, then you then it actually really is pointing towards something wrong with your operating system on that drive, like a physical drive issue. Now, the fact that you can get into safe mode is good news. So you could go to um, a computer store of some kind, you know, Staples, Best Buy, wherever, and buy a hard drive, plop it in there, reload your operating system, put this drive as a secondary drive, uh, either buy a little USB uh, enclosure and turn it into a USB external drive and copy your data. Yeah. Got that. So, I mean, it's it's starting to... Go ahead and pull the data off it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because it's sounding to me like it's a bad drive. Yeah. because it's telling you it can't fix something. Okay. Otherwise, it would say no errors, everything's fine. It wouldn't tell you it can't fix it. <laughs> okay. Um, try the well, system file check. The drive. It probably oh. is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time. You're welcome, Your Peter. help and your knowledge and expertise. All right. You guys are great. Thanks for calling. Hey, have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye. Uh, that's too bad, um, but those drives don't last forever. Um, let's move on quickly. Well, Mike, where am I going? To the bottom? All right. I got a couple minutes here. Let's get, uh, Bob's question on in the car here. Hey, Bob. Hey. Um, first of all, good show. Enjoy your day. Thanks. Saturday morning. Um, I have a, uh, gateway, uh, desktop and a hard drive crash, hmm. and I've, I've replaced the hard drive. Yep. Um, so my question now is, what's the best approach to retrieving the data off of the old hard drive? Well, I'm, as I mentioned to the last caller, you could go out and get a USB drive enclosure and put the drive in that enclosure, connect it via USB port to your to your repaired computer, and try try navigating to your data. But, but the repaired computer has a new hard drive in it. Yeah, that's and great. And this, isn't the data in, on the old hard drive that's been taken out? Um, is I don't know. That's why I, I thought that's why you called. You wanted to get the data off the old hard drive, right? Which is out, which is no longer in the computer. Correct. So the old hard drive should have been given back to you. Did they it, do? And it was. Yeah. Okay. So what you want to do is find a drive enclosure to put that drive into. So I'm, I'm coming up against a hard break, Bob. So hang on one sec. We'll talk a little more after the news. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to put uh, Bob on hold and explain drive enclosures. 
uh, Joe, Jim, Greg, Bob, hang on. This is Computer Talk. We're going to be here till 1030. Everything I talked about today will be posted live on computertalkwithtab.com. Go to our links area. Of course, you can also follow us on Facebook. Follow us at Tab Computer System by liking us. And, of course, if you're on Twitter with Trump, go ahead and follow us there as well at Tab Computer Sys. We'll be right back. This is Computer Talk. I'm going to be here until 1030. My name is Eric. And I'm working with uh, Bob in the car trying to retrieve some data off his failed hard drive. You still there, Bob? Good morning again. Good morning. So we were trying to talk about the fact that you've got your repaired computer. Yep. And then you've got your crashed hard drive. And that is, I assume, in your hand. Yes. Okay. So what I was trying to have you do is either go out and buy a USB enclosure where you stick the drive that's crashed into that enclosure, plug it into your computer via USB, and then navigate to the drive in hopes of seeing the data. Now, if the drive is so damaged that you can't see the data, then you have to send that that drive out to a data recovery company. And then are, get, they, are they normally successful? I know it's, it's a couple hundred dollars to do that at a minimum. Uh, just a, it's at a, it's a couple hundred bucks just to find out how much it's going to cost you. Yeah. So they are generally successful. They've been doing it for a long time. The company we recommend to our business clients and to our listeners is Kroll, K R O L L, on track, and they're out in New York. And K A R R K R O L L Kroll, on okay. on track. And I'll put a on link. Track. I'll put a link on Computer Talk for you. And it could, you're going to find out for a hundred bucks or so how much it's going to cost you truly to recover the data. So, have you already tried the idea of plugging the drive into a USB port and seeing if it can can be seen? I have not. Didn't know that was an option. Yeah. So we're going to put a link up there for a couple options. So you can use my enclosure idea, or there's there's a a, a universal drive adapter that is just a cable that can kind of plug in and and work. So. Both options are good for you to try before you start spending money on data recovery. All right. Very good. All right, Bob. Uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. Good luck. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. A backup, obviously, is the best option uh, to make sure your data is protected. So that's the number one thing to do. All right. Let's go on to your calls, and we're going to go to Joe in East Hartford. Hey, Joe, what's up? Uh, I keep getting this pop-up that says e colon backslash the directory name is invalid. And I've deleted the item, but it comes back within a day. You deleted the item. Is it like a USB stick or a card reader or what is it? Um, I just found now that it's apparently has to do with the printer. Ah, uh, yes. Portable devices. Yes. So card reader. Your, does your printer have a card reader in it? I have no idea. <laughs> It's okay. Uh, some printers have these uh, card reader slots where you can go ahead and a card reader is a thing that allows you to take your SD cards out of your cameras and mm-hmm. it might deal with different sizes. And uh, what happens is sometimes it designates a drive letter that okay. can cause this error. I do have a link um, that I can show you. This is Windows 10, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a typically, you know, F drive is an invalid directory. Your case is E. Uh, on the left-hand side of the, if you browse or or try to um, navigate down to the drive letter, if there's a lock on the side, you can always remove that lock. From what I understand, and that can correct this error. 
uh, on the left-hand side of the designation of E. Um, but yeah, what, no, I, no lock. No lock figures. Um, somewhere in that card reader, it is giving you this error. If you disconnect the printer, obviously it works, correct? Um, the printer works fine. Um, What's the model of printer? It's a Canon MP6620. And when I went into the device manager under the properties under the E colon, it's yeah. referring to that. Yeah. And it says that the driver date is 06. So I'm wondering, what wow. the driver help? Well, always. Always a good place to start. 06? Yeah, okay. I mean, that's a long time ago. Uh, yeah, Windows well, 10 probably was just a twinkle in Mr. Gates's eye back in 06. So, okay. so even the founders are the, haven't come up with the updates by then. So, yeah, update your uh, driver there. And um, start with that because it might just handle Windows 10 better and, and fix the error. Yeah. Um, okay. we're, look, we're looking to see if there's a, drive, a card reader in there. I bet you there is. It's something is designated in that drive letter that Windows 10 doesn't like. And uh, you do the update. I bet you that's the first the first step towards getting this corrected. Okay. All right, Joe. Yeah. One other thing. Yeah. Since you're there. Yeah. Um, the Open DNS. Yeah. And I know you have places, you know, on your web that tells you how to do it. Right. But I'm actually having trouble figuring out what my thing from Comcast is. What your thing is? Your router? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a problem. So if it's a Comcast router, you could configure all this work, and then Comcast could default it on you, and you're back to square one. Okay. So if you really want to have control of your network, you would punt Comcast's hardware, Comcast's hardware by okay. going out and getting your own modem for Comcast okay. and then your own router. But if you didn't want to do that, for, for whatever reason, you can configure DNS on your individual workstation to override Comcast's DNS. So if you look at your internet, your uh, your network settings, right? Mm -hmm. Are you wireless or hardwired? I'm hardwired. Beautiful. So if you look at your network settings on your network card, and you go down to the configurations of TCP/IP, it'll talk about obtaining IP addresses. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you want to obtain the first group of IP addresses. That's the local address of your network connection. But you do not want to obtain the DNS addresses. You want to put those in yourself. So mm -hmm. you would uncheck that and type in the OpenDNS IPs. If you read the instructions on OpenDNS, it covers this very detailed. Okay. And that's a way for you to then you know, circumvent Comcast's DNS and, and operate more securely and more safely. And then download the little IP... Um, Tool, which is a little IP client that will will uh, allow you to log in as you, Joe from East Hartford, because mm -hmm. then you can set settings. If you have kids in there or grandkids or whatever that you mm -hmm. wouldn't want have to have access to inappropriate sites, yeah. you you can actually specify that and protect your network and your kids and people on it from going to things you wouldn't want them to go to. And as long as you down that little download that little client that says, "Hey, Joe from East Hartford has these settings." Um, your, your settings will be honored and, and kept. It's all free. All so right. it's a it's a great filter for home use and a great security tool to keep you safer on the uh, internet. We'll put a link up there for OpenDNS as to how to configure a network card. But that's your easiest way. The okay. harder harder way is to buy your own hardware from Comcast and and uh, punt paying them a rental on their hardware forever. <laughs> yeah. All right. Appreciate it. I'll give it another shot. All right, Joe. Thanks. Yep. You're welcome. Bye-bye.
real quick before we have to go to a break, uh, I wanted to bring this up in the news too because the dinglings at Equifax are still in the news, and I hear our our uh, attorneys general are finally doing something about it. Um, again, Blumenthal, man, this is like low hanging fruit for you, buddy. I don't know why you haven't done anything with this. Equifax, the keeper of our data, of which we didn't give them, who then sell it back to people so that some guy in Toledo can get uh, credit from Lowe's to buy carpet, um, missed a patch on their cloud servers months ago. So Apache Struts was popped, but the company had at least two months to fix it. That's the headline here from my favorite IT uh, site, the register out of, uh, out of the U.K., Equifax revealed that the cause of its massive data breach breach was a flaw that it should have patched weeks before it was attacked. And I'll put the link out here for you. It actually goes to the timeline. But um, Equifax breach was in mid-May. It realized it in July and got around to telling us in September. But they could have fixed this and prevented it by just updating their servers months before it happened. Again, I asked Blumenthal and those guys who deal with coming up with you know Dodd Frank legislation and all this stuff that are are harming our our uh, banking systems. Why don't we go after these guys? We're protecting our data, our personal data, from identity theft to keep these dinglings, Equifax, TransUnion, from giving out our data so some guy in Toledo can buy carpet at Lowe's. Make it harder to get credit. All right, we all don't need all this credit. Most Americans, I mean, how much debt do we need? These companies decided that they were going to be the keepers of our credit, then sold it back to companies like Lowe's so they can sell carpet to the guy in Toledo. And now they're going to charge us to put a freeze on them. Come on. This is like a softball. Come on, Blumenthal. Murphy, you guys, this is right up your alley. Everyone hates these guys, Equifax and Trent. We all hate them. Go for them. Do something. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is Computer Talk with Tab. I'm Eric. Tab is Tab Computer Systems, a company I've been working for for 27 years. And we come on Saturday for the past 20-plus years, I lose count, helping you guys out with your computer problems, comments, questions, and concerns as best we can for you. Let's go on to Greg in Madison. Hey, Greg. You there? Hey, how you doing, Eric? Good. How are you, sir? Not too bad. Um, I did something to uh, my home screen on my my pavilion. Mm-hmm. And it just blew up the size of the shortcuts or icons. I guess shortcuts you'd call them. Yep. I can't. I've tried everything. I can't figure out how to how to shrink, shrink them back them down again. What do you have for an operating system, sir? Uh, Windows ten. Okay. Uh, it's pretty simple. I can put a link here to walking you right through it. But uh, if you right-click um, anywhere on your screen where there's not an icon, yeah, you should then be able to click on da, 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 click on view. Oh, view. Yeah, I don't see a view. So you first, you got to right-click any any empty space in the desktop. Um. Right from Maybe the t- part of the issue is here. I, I've got um, this uh, overlay called Fences. Okay. Have you ever heard of Fences before? No. What does it do? Uh, it allows you to group your uh, shortcuts into distinct little boxes. No, oh, great. So it's a piece on top of this issue because it could yeah. be it could be contributing to this problem. It could be because when I right click on there, it allows me to. It do, I don't see the view. 
uh, I don't see any. So are you within the fences program then when you right click? Are you with your... evidently yes? Okay. Because even if I click on a bare spot that's outside of a fence, it still says configure fences, but there's nothing that says view. All right. So, so good uh, fences make good icons, but not in this case. So um, <laughs> nobody I got that. I'm familiar with that. So <laughs> no. my only alternative probably is to is to get rid of the. I would, I would get rid of the fences program. However, you, it depends on what you did to cause this problem. Uh, I don't know. It was like I swiped it somehow or another by accident. I like yep. swiped it, and it was almost like swiping a slider bar. Yep. And I don't, for the life of me, can't figure out how to you, do you, that again in reverse. I hear you. You could have changed the screen resolution. Um, your your display resolution could have gone from a high resolution to a low resolution. That'll cause an issue with icons being. I, I tried that. I'm, I'm at a, I'm at 1366 by 768 on the resolution. Okay, then you're running a very high resolution, and you're still getting these large icons. Yeah. So it's probably within fences. Uh, I don't know where to change the setting within fences. I can tell you to do it within Windows 10, which is what I described. You just right click in the area, click View, and then choose medium icons or small icons. You can just change it right in there. Um, you'd have to look at Fences' program and see if they have any kind of settings that you can modify for this. Um, I yeah, just don't know. That could know be it. too much work. Um, it could be. Uninstall it. Uninstall Fences. Yeah, you know where your icons are, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've never well, heard. It's nice. It it does kind of keep it. You know what the problem is, though, that they went to a subscription thing about a year ago, so I can't up, update or upgrade. So uh, so wait a minute. They, they're going to sell money. you. They a, used to be free. They're going to sell you a virtual fence in order to group and herd your icons in certain spots on your screen? Yeah, I love it. It's great. All right. It's hey, yeah, it's great as long as it's free. It ain't worth paying for, right? Yeah, it's not worth paying for. It. <laughs> now you have to pay for it, so now I guess I have to get rid of it. Yeah, get rid of it, and then just put your icons where you want, Greg. You can do it. I, I know you can. Yeah. All right, thanks. You got it. Bye-bye. He's going to be an icon herder. Um, never heard of a tool like that. <laughs> All right, we're going over to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Rocky. Hey, Rocky, what's up? Yes, um, I understand that the uh, good census makes good neighbors was the second place motto for Equifax. First first place was uh, uh, you're not people, you're data. Exactly. And we didn't even give it to Um, them. so keep piling on. I'm trying. Keep at them. It makes me so angry I can't tell you. <laughs> so what can I do for you? Uh, yeah, so I just uh, called in because I know you have uh, a lot of listeners that don't always have the heart to throw away an old computer or to retire it when they should. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to tell you that I, I have had good luck lately with Cloud Ready. Okay. Um, I first started trying it out uh, six months or a year ago with uh, some Pentium 4s. I didn't really have good luck, but I, I noticed with the i3 processor, which you've mentioned today even, yeah. and with um, most all of the dual cores, the Vista-era machines are newer. Yep. It, it can really work well. It can really work well. It's a limited capability. I don't, you know, don't want to say too much now that you want to um, chime in on, but it's, um, it's mainly to convert your... Um, traditional computer into a Chrome-like machine. Right. almost a browser-based so computer. Browser-based, you can't do a whole lot without a Gmail account. Right. And then once you do that, you can use Google Docs, yep. and um, you can save your bookmarks and some things like that. But you get the speed. That's the big thing people want. Yeah. But I would say people that have ransomware, 
Uh, they've got their data backed up, but they just don't know what to do with the old machine. They've got some some um, problems with it. Mm-hmm. It might be a nice alternative, and it's free. Yeah. It's free. So you're, turn, you're turning your old computer into basically just a, a thin client type of device that will connect via kind of a Chrome-ish style operating system. Yep. Yeah. And I've done about half a dozen of these for some friends, you know, yeah. for fun. Cool. And they like it. Hey, it's a way to keep that old machine running. That's kind of the nature of this beast on the on this show. We have a lot of folks that talk about their old computers, so it's a way to look at it. I'll put a link up there so folks can kind of get more information about it. And I appreciate you bringing it up, Rocky. Okay, sir. Hey, thank you, Eric. Thanks for listening in Michigan. All right. All right. See ya. We're gonna step out for a quick break. Get back to more of your calls. This is Computer Talk. So, John and Jim, hang on. We got two lines open for you. We're on till ten thirty before UConn football. So feel free to get online. I'll do my best to help you out. Everything we've talked about so far is posted live over at computertalkwithtab.com. It's the name of our program, .com. It's the website. There's live links out there for you and anything we talked about. If you follow us on Facebook at Tab Computer Systems and Mark Zuckerberg deems it worthy, he'll put our news in your news feed. And, of course, on the old Twitter at Tab Computer Sys. We'll be right back. This is Computer Talk with Tab, hosted by Eric Semmel of Tab Computer Systems. Interact by phone at 522-WTIC or 1-800-966-WTIC. You can email them in the studio at gethelpattabinc.com or get help anytime at computertalkwithtab.com. Now, here's Eric. And good morning. This is Computer Talk with Tab. I'm Eric. Bob's off this morning. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have a shortened show because uh, we'll be done at around 10.30 and UConn football will take over with Bob Joyce and uh, Joe D. So uh, stick around for that. A couple things I want to quickly bring up in the news that I didn't have a chance to in the first segment. Um, a report by the NTSB found that Tesla Autopilot both came up short in the fatal crash. So the Autopilot and the driver, according to NTSB, this uh, fatal crash, uh, you might remember, it was a poor guy named Josh Brown. Um, who was using the semi-autonomous autopilot in Florida on a highway when uh, both he and the car failed to notice a tractor-trailer turning left across the road. At the time, the autopilot was capable of steering the car within the lane and autonomously autonomously braking uh, for vehicles in the road ahead. Following the incident, Tesla said that the vehicle's sensors were unable to identify the white truck against the bright sky behind it. According to Reuters, the NTSB found that the system worked as designed, but should have done more to ensure driver attentiveness and restrict its use to highways and limited access roads. Yeah, this guy was running it like on Route 5 type of thing where it really shouldn't have been used. The only um, way that it could monitor the driver was by sensing whether or not he was touching the steering wheel. And the NTSB called that a poor surrogate for monitored driving engagement. So uh, the investigation also found that he had 10 seconds to respond uh, to the truck and that Brown did not apply the brakes, obviously neither did the car. And his last action was setting the cruise control at 74 miles per hour on a 65 mile per hour road two minutes before the collision. So uh, the reason I bring this up is we bought a minivan. Yes, a minivan, a Honda minivan, 2018. And that car is amazing and when you have three boys that are all you know three big boys yes they're you know, minivans great when you're sticking in car seats but suvs it's really tough to get three boys in and out of suvs no matter how big the suv 
I'll tell you right now, a minivan is nice and roomy. The reason I bring this up, though, is my little silly Honda minivan has the same cruise control as Tesla's autopilot. Now, they didn't call it autopilot. They called it auto cruise control. I've had this minivan now for a few months, and so I was driving to stores to see one of my kids, two of my kids, and I turned on this autopilot, or auto cruise control. And I'll tell you, it is a pucker factor five when you're sitting there on the HOV lane and having your car turn for you. What I'm saying here is that the more these cars come out, and we just saw this Tesla issue where the truck pulled in front of it, even though I was on a highway in HOV, I was scared to death to have this car turn for me. It was thrilling, but I shouldn't be thrilled on the highway. <laughs> it just shouldn't be something we do. I kept my hands near the wheel, and the car itself kept saying every now and again, hey, buddy, steering was required, you know, to make sure that it knew that my hands were near the wheels. Um, but the more of us that are going to get this auto cruise control feature in 2018 cars and on, it's going to be a crazy world out there. I, I know when they perfect it, it'll probably be safer, quote unquote, but I wouldn't trust my computer to, to do what? You know, check my credit. We don't even trust it to do anything these days. You're going to trust it to drive on the highway? I don't know. Maybe someday, but I don't know. Um, but this technology is coming to folks even with minivans, <laughs> is what I'm saying. And uh, be careful out there. I mean, it's it's creepy and freaky and scary at the same time to, to watch your car turn for you. And uh, as we see in, in this NTSB issue, don't turn it on on Route 5 just because you can. Um, if you're going to use it, and ask yourself why you're using it. I mean, why do you need to have the car turn for you anyways? I just did it because I thought it was cool. But what's the point of that? Um don't use it if you don't need to use it. Keep your hands on the wheel, please. Uh, the car could make a mistake. I mean, you've listened to the show for 20 plus years. These computers, they still can't work and they're sitting on our desktops. You're going to trust one in the car? No, maybe I'm crazy. So I wanted to bring that up. I'll put the link up there for what the NTSB found with that crash and you can read it yourself. But So just be careful with the autopilot, please. All right, let's go on to uh, Jim in Winstead next. Hey, Jim. Morning. How you doing? Doing fine. How are you? Oh, I'm uh, at my age. I'm still vertical, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> okay, I I got two things going here, real quick. Uh, I just got a flash from Firefox that they want to send me an update, and it's it's about a script file, but I'm looking at the HTTPS address, and it doesn't look like it comes from Firefox. Yeah, any pop up like that, I wouldn't trust. Right. So I would ignore it. If you're going to update Firefox, you would just go to the uh, options and the settings and check the about, and it'll update. I would never trust a pop-up or a flash that comes up through my browser for anything these days. That's that's what I kind of thought. Yeah. Okay, my second problem here is it's weird. Back in June, I went to a reputable site. I got hit with the ransomware. I had to redo my whole computer. I went through uh, HP to do it. Yeah. Since then... If I send a Word document over email and I use um, Outlook, mm -hmm. some people, uh, and I've checked, I've gone and, and opened it up, like if I, I, I sent a um, document with three columns of names, mm -hmm. um, a couple people have 
said that it comes out all jumbled. Um, you know, the document doesn't come out with three columns of names. The names are all there, but they're like scattered all over two pages mm-hmm. instead of one. Um, just for ha-has, I just opened up an email and sent the same document, and I clicked on it to see how it would look, and that's what happened. If I open it up normally with Word, it comes out the way it's supposed to. Yeah. What are you using? What are you, what are you using to open it outside of Word? Is it a Word document you're opening? Yes, it's a Word document. But you're, So your people on the other end are opening it with Word, a current version of Word, or an older version of Word? That part I really don't know. But if I click on it before I send it, if I click on the document in, in the subject line, yeah. it comes up all jumbled. On if your I, side? If I, and if I just open it up, you know, normally it comes up, it looks normal. I don't, I don't understand... And now I think Edge has got something to do with this. I don't like Windows 10 to begin with. Yeah, I would not use Windows Edge either. So uh, stop Windows Edge from being involved with opening a Word document. You, it shouldn't be involved, anyways. I'm, I don't even understand why it is. That should be within Word. Are you sending this in within a browser? You must be using a a browser-based email system. Yes, it's, I guess it's just through. Um, Spectrum, I guess. It's okay, Apple. so stop using Edge and open your email through Firefox or or Chrome and see if you get a different result on that preview. Oh, I do. I no. I'm sorry. I, that's my mistake. I open. I, I use uh, Firefox. Then but why is Edge? Edge gets involved. If I send it through the subject line, the uh, the Word document. If I send it through the. Um, then you have a file association problem. Ed, sh- Ed shouldn't be previewing <clears throat> that document. I don't think it's you should be telling Word to do it. Um, so you have to do a file association with Word on Doc uh, Doc X extensions. Um, unless this is an HTML document of some kind, then Edge could be used. But I assume it's not, right? This is a Doc. I never had anything to do with Edge. It's pain right in the butt. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see if I can put a link up there as to how to reassociate Doc files with Word. Uh, so they preview properly, because you shouldn't have to involve Edge at all. It should be using your Word. Now, on your recipient side, if they have the same problem, um, it's either a version of their Word is not current enough to handle whatever you're sending them, or maybe you should consider saving the document in an older flavor of Word, in a more compatible flavor, um, rather right. than the latest and greatest. So there are there is an option when you save it to save it as, and then choose a more compatible or older flavor of Word rather than trying to save it as the latest, and you might have good luck there, too. Well, Microsoft Office is uh, 2013. Okay. That's an older version, but not that much older. It's pretty. It's fairly current. So see if you're on your recipient side. If they have 2010 or 2007, they may not know what to do with that Word document. It may not display properly. It may not format properly. Gotcha. It's, it's basically Microsoft's way of forcing your recipients to spend money to upgrade to the current because you're current, Jim. So it's it's the ultimate getting up to with the Joneses because you are the Jones forcing your other Joneses to upgrade because of incompatibility. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. All right, Jim. I'll put a link up there for you on how to associate doc files with Word rather than Edge. I, I don't understand why it's previewing that way for you. I don't either. And it happened since, you know, I had to redo my computer. So Yeah. Are you using OpenDNS now so you're not going to find yourself in that bad spot again? Uh, I, no, you know what? I've, I've, I've tried to do that, but I'm afraid I'm going to screw up too many things. 
Okay, well, the only problem is if you're not going to be protected, so you can easily find yourself in that same mistake again on some other legitimate site that's infected, and you're going to find yourself right down that same road. I use malware bites and uh, McAfee, and um... yeah, it's a good start, but I can prevent you from getting infected in the first place. I got gotcha. you. Okay. All right. Because All right. sometimes the medicine's worse than a cure. I can get you there. I can prevent it, man. I appreciate your help. All right, Jim. All right, we're going to step out for a quick break. We got John, Mike, and Steve. We're here till around 1030. And then UConn football is up next. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is Computer Talk with Tab. American beer till around 1030, like uh, Bob Joyce just mentioned. Then UConn football. A couple quick things I want to bring up, too. We talked about this before. Homeland Security is dropping the hammer on Kaspersky Labs with a preemptive ban. Government departments have 90 days to rip and replace. So basically, somehow, somehow, some dinglings in, in the government decided it was okay that they install software from Russia. Now, last time I checked, they're a communist country. Obviously, a communist country at any moment can have the means of production taken over by the government. So uh, we are just now, just now thinking, hey, you know, it may not be smart to have Kaspersky antivirus on our government computers. I I can't even believe it's a thing, but it is. Obviously, you wouldn't want Russian antivirus on your government computers. If you want to run it on your business computers, that's up to you. I wouldn't recommend that either, but that's just me. I've always wondered about this. You've got AVG from the Czech Republic. You've got uh, this Kaspersky. There's other stuff, too. Why are we running antivirus from those countries on our American machines. It's not anti-Russian. It's just common sense. Um, I mean, obviously you wouldn't want the uh, a Russian manufacturer to, to, to manufacture your trigger fingers, your trigger, your triggers or your whatever they're called. You know, I mean, you, clearly they might malfunction when you need them. I mean, why would you want antivirus from Russia on your, on your government computer? So now the Department of Homeland Security has banned Kaspersky finally. On government machines. Hopefully, there's not too many of them on there. But uh, this doesn't. This is not some sort of crazy thing, guys. It means you don't need a tinfoil tinfoil hat to think about the fact that you shouldn't be running Russian antivirus on your businesses or your government computers. Simple. Nothing anti-Russian about it. I don't think they run a lot of American software out there. If they, you know, that's just, come on. I'll put the link up there for you. But you've got a few days if you're in government to remove Kaspersky from your computers. Duh. Let's go on to Simsbury and John. Hey, John. Jay. Jay, John. Yes. Oh, okay. What's up? I have had for the last several weeks a uh, 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 sudden notice on the lower right corner pointing to an icon on the bottom of my screen. Yeah. It says low disk space. Oh, boy. HP underline recovery dot uh, D in... Uh, oh. You know, let it, uh, whatever. Yeah. And it says, so I click on the link, and it says, you can use disk cleanup f- to free up to zero bytes of disk space on HP Recovery D. Mm. And then it says recycle bin, and that's blue. Mm-hmm. And then total amount of disk space you gain, zero bytes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, so HP uh, has a little spot there on your computer for recovery, should your machine crash, they have the software operating system kind of stuck in that little partition. And all of a sudden, there's been a warning now because you might have put just a little bit of something in that folder to cause this disk space message. You can ignore it. 
Um, obviously, it's driving you cuckoo, so you want to try to stop it from happening. But you have to go look, if I were you, look in your D drive there where that little disk, uh, that little recovery partition is, and see if you've put something in there like a movie file or, a, or some pictures by accident that just tipped it over to give you that warning. I'm not sure. I've, you probably can turn off the warning. Um, I have to go check to see where that setting might be, but I, you probably could turn it off. But I bet you if you just clear out whatever little bit you put in there by accident, the message would go away. Because right. of course, it, it's going to be a tiny little partition, right? It's this little tiny partition drive, right? I don't know what it is. We've got a big square in the, uh, in the main part of the screen. Yeah. Do you know how to look at uh, drive space? I don't think so. Okay, so we can put a link up as to how to look at drive space on your operating system. What kind of operating system do you have, John? I have Windows 7. Windows 7, okay. So we'll put a link for how to look at Windows drive space in Windows 7. You can also just, you know how to use Explorer, right? You can explore to your C drive and explore to your E drive or whatever they might uh, be. I use Firefox all the time. Well, sorry, uh, the File Explorer. So if you go to the Start button, the little round round circle there in the lower left-hand corner and right-click, you can get over to Explorer. Microsoft and the Infinite Wisdom decided to call IE Internet Explorer, and then to explore your files internally, they called it Explorer. Is that the colored uh, circle in the left, far left side bottom? Yes, sir. Right-click on that. Okay. And then you'll go to an explore. You have an Explorer option. That's going to give you a file structure. If all goes well. Properties, Open Windows Explorer, yeah. Yeah, Open Windows Explorer. And then you'll see your drive letters. You'll see, you should see your computer and you should see you know, your different drive letters that are available to you. Mm-hmm. The low disk space is which letter? Which letter is coming up? H- HP Recovery D. D. So look at your D colon. You can right-click on the D colon click on Properties, and you'll see how big that thing is. It's probably pretty small. And most likely, somebody stuck something there. And you want to try to clear whatever uh, extra file is in there out or ignore the message and i'll also put a link up there as to how to uh, clear it out for you we have a link up there ready for you okay i'll uh, i'll get to you all right jay thank you thank you for calling you're welcome bye all right guys i want to thank all of you for joining me on this saturday morning yukon football is next stick around joe d will have the call and uh i thank you again everything we've talked about has been posted live at computertalkwithtab.com also on our facebook page if you like us on facebook at tab computer systems and mark zuckerberg allows it it'll go to your news feed and if you follow us on twitter tab computer sis stick around uconn football up next